Welcome to the DermVet Podcast. I'm Dr. Ashley Bourgeois, a board-certified veterinary dermatologist practicing in Portland, Oregon with animal dermatology clinics. I'm also a mom of two, just trying to find the balance like everyone else. Let's learn to ditch the itch, cytology, everything, and make derm more fun than frustrating. We're all so busy in the clinic. And it is really difficult when you have an owner call you with their pet flaring from their allergies or an ear infection or even trying to schedule your own rechecks. It's been really difficult over the last year and a half with such an influx of cases. Today on the podcast, I welcome Dr. Nell Dalton. She is an ER veterinarian, um, previously worked as a GP, so has a lot of experience managing these cases in different settings. Currently, she's an ER veterinarian at West Vet in Boise, Idaho, and I had her on the podcast to talk about from an emergency veterinarian's point of view, but also someone who practiced GP, how do we manage these pets who are itchy, that we can't get to come in, or we don't have much time on our schedule to have them come in, how can we still help them, what can we do to make them more comfortable, what tools can be utilized. So I really hope you enjoyed this episode of the podcast. Well, thank you everyone for joining me for another episode of the DermVet Podcast. I am so excited to have Dr. Nell Dalton joining me today, who is an ER veterinarian in Boise, Idaho, and also has a lot of practice as a general practitioner previous um, to focusing on emergency veterinary medicine. And I always have a soft spot in my heart for Dr. Dalton, because I still remember when we lectured together here in Portland. And I was like very, very newly pregnant. Do you remember that? And I was just like, I I was having to tell you, like, I'm sorry if I'm off my game. I'm not feeling like super great, but I had just found I was pregnant with my second child. And it's like instant bond because you have children and we're just so sweet. So I'm very happy to have you on the podcast today. Thanks. This will be a lot of fun. Yes, it will be. And I know it's going to be really nice just to have your um, perspective as an ER veterinarian, but also having that practice in general practice, um, because this is such a weird time. We are all so busy, like general practices are busy. ER clinics are busy. Um, specialty clinics are busy. Everyone is so busy. Um, and, you know, we have a lot of passion for dermatology and helping these patients. So can you kind of just tell me from your perspective, and then I can give my perspective about this as well from a dermatologist standpoint, um, what are you kind of seeing in the last year and a half, two years, as far as caseload, the types of cases that are coming into you as an emergency veterinarian and just with vets being so busy owners having to wait. I know that the specialty hospital I work out of that does emergency care, um, they're so overloaded just because a lot of clients are trying to get in since they can't get into their general practitioner. So give me just a glimpse of what that looks like for you. Um, yes, I agree. It's uh, been uh, a huge turn that we really didn't expect. When the pandemic hit, we were all a little bit nervous that things might decrease, and it's done exactly the opposite. I think some of the data is a close to 30 to 40% in case or increase in general caseload, uh, which is uh, you know absolutely unheard of. Um, and then we have the added difficulty of having extreme you know, temperatures. So it's very, very cold in the winter. It's very, very hot in the summer. So it's not like we can have people 
waiting in their cars comfortably. And we closed our lobby. We don't have our emergency patients in with their clients. Um, in addition, we feel ethically anything that is admitted to the hospital, we have to have eyes on them. And so we are kind of limited space where we can watch animals. Uh, due to the increase in caseload, the wait times are extraordinary. Um, kind of a background, about 25% rough estimate of our clients coming in through the doors don't even have primary veterinarians. That's kind of remained static. And it's increased because people moved here during the pandemic because at first we weren't as effective as some of the surrounding states. And then we saw a huge influx of people moving to the Boise area just for quality of life. So that's kind of made our caseload uh, even more difficult because some don't have primary veterinarians and some simply can't get primary veterinarians because the local practices are inundated as well. Um, skin wise, you know, I kind of pulled some of my uh, partners in practice and I don't think we are seeing a higher percentage of skin cases. We are just seeing significantly more because the caseload has increased. So our skin cases have always historically been, you know, pyotraumatic. We see our hot spots, especially seasonally, um, spring here a little bit in summer. And then again, in the fall when our sagebrush blooms are huge flare factors. So we see a lot of hot spots. Um, we always see pyoderma. Uh, we see a fair amount of oral hematomas, whether that's from ear infection or dog fights or idiopathic. We, we never know why that happens. Uh, and then a lot of pododermatitis, which often is atopy, but then we do find a fair amount of demodex. So that's kind of the standard skin cases that we've always seen, but we're seeing more of it because the caseload has increased. Um, one unique thing to the Idaho area and kind of west area is an annoying plant on called cheatgrass. Um, it's also called a foxtail, another ornamental grass called a medusa head. And that gets in between paws, but gets a lot in ears. And we've seen a huge increase in the caseload for that, primarily because people with the pandemic were out and about with their animals more because they were home. Plus, we had a lot of people move to this area where they didn't understand what that grass was. And so they were taking their pets into areas where that grass was, where native Idahoans know not to go. So that was a little bit of an increase that we weren't expecting. That's really interesting. Um, we see some foxtails here in the uh, Oregon, Washington area, but I do think most of them end up seeing like, you know, ER vets or their general practitioners. Um, but I have taken a few out of ears when they've kind of had that unilateral otitis and they weren't really sure what was going on and they weren't that easy to see. So we've had to use the video otoscopy unit, you know, for us and our, our, me being a referral dermatologist, it's been really hard just having that influx of patients. Um, you're absolutely right. We still get some who even try to see us not having a primary care veterinarian if they've moved to the area because they have a pet with itchy skin, they feel helpless. It's really hard to get a primary veterinarian. I think right now we're about like a two month wait list. So one of our biggest struggles has been getting our own rechecks in. So usually I always want to check cytology on any infection that I'm seeing before we discontinue using any sort of antibiotic, any sort of ear medication. But when your schedule is full for, you know, two months, two and a half months, three months, it's hard to get those in. So we've, I've kind of started implementing something called cytology checks where they come in and they actually have the cytology done with our technician. And so they'll come in. I write down exactly where I take them when I see that initial recheck or that initial new appointment. And then they do the cytology for me while I'm seeing cases 
They bring me the slides. I read them. I look at kind of the case and instruct what to do either. Hey, we need to continue this medication. We need to switch it. Um, or we're done. It's okay for them to discontinue it. And then my technicians actually, uh, take care of writing up my findings and communicating that to the client. So that's kind of been one thing. And I prep owners for that. Hey, you're going to come in in three weeks for, you know, cytology recheck with the technicians. I will read the slide. I'll kind of inform them what to do. And then, um, but then we set an actual doctor recheck appointment, you know, past that just to have that spot. So then we can kind of still give that care for managing that case long-term. But it's difficult because I kind of had to figure out how do I check infections, but I cannot slide every, you know, we can't burn out our staff or ourselves by seeing all of it. So it's this really interesting world of trying to find the workflow, like what works for, you know, you as an ER veterinarian. I'm also not having patients that are coming in hit by car and hypovolemic and all these other things that we're having to deal with. So I can only uh, imagine being in that situation having to juggle all of that. I mean, it just has to be a lot. If you do have something come in, like someone who has a pet that is say hotspot or really licking their paws a lot and they come to the building, how do you guys kind of prioritize or manage that? Like what kind of communication do you have with the client with that? Well, we try to have an extensive communication with the client from the get-go that we are an ER, we're not a general practice, and that cases are seen on the first-come, first-served basis. However, there is a triage system. So if anything is uh, dying or in imminent danger of dying, they are going to be seen before anything else. And so we apologize ahead of time that the wait time can be anywhere from 4 to 12 hours. And uh, we apologize, but you know the, this is where the situation is. And it's always been that way in ER. In the past, we uh, would allow people to drop their animal off and then our technicians would call them with updates on kind of what the wait time was. And I did similar to what you would do as far as sometimes my exam would not be as expeditious as I would like because I get my general exam, I grab some cytologies, you know, stain them and put them aside, see the four or five, you know, stat cases that came in and then be able to look at cytology throughout the day and then call the owner. So it results in a very, very long appointment and even longer now. Um, But that's the only way that we can handle non-emergencies in an emergency clinic. Um, I do tell owners, especially if they come over with a very, very large hotspot, I'll take a look at it. And a lot of times we'll administer pain medication, at least when they come in so that they know they're much more comfortable because it's going to be four to six hours and as we know, skin's the largest organ of the body and those animals are completely miserable. And if we don't do something, they're going to continue to traumatize that wound while they're waiting to see us. So we use a lot of pain medication. We use e-collars. Uh, we're having them watched and managed. Um, but this is an area that really, before we could get skin in pretty quickly, especially for those of us who do skin. Uh, and in the ER, we could see it in between cases. But now with just a crushing load of trauma cases, Um, it makes the skin cases just more difficult because it's difficult to do exam, get your uh, derm database under the microscope and prescribe medications and have that discussion of atopy in a timely manner with all the cases coming in. Um, The other thing that's changed for us is uh, I would usually send home a starter dose of antibiotics and say, you need to follow up with your veterinarian in 10 to 14 days. Um, I don't do that anymore because they simply cannot get in. And then we still have that 25 to 30% that don't 
have a primary veterinarian. So since I don't want to set up antibiotic resistance, I am sending the full course of antibiotics home. Same thing with if I'm using an azole for malesthesia. So they are getting a full course of treatment. And then many like you have, they return to us for the follow up. And that is difficult because, you know, we don't know who is going to be on and who is going to be receiving because we literally take cases as they come in. So whoever's available takes the next case. So um, I agree with you as far as the technician derm workup for rechecks. It's brilliant. And I did that to some degree when we were very, very busy in general practice. But in the ER, it's a recheck exam where we've got to get cytologies. And then you know you have to go back and look at the medical record from the previous doctor. And so it's a little bit more cumbersome, I think, the rechecks are even than the initial appointment because there's just somebody else's record that you're following. Um, so those are kind of the big changes that we're seeing is uh, just trying to see them in a timely manner, uh, prescribing medications for the full treatment. And then, unfortunately, some have to come back for rechecks because they cannot get in. Uh, either to find a veterinarian or in a timely manner for the rechecks, just because the referring uh, practices are so busy. Well, and I mean, I guess too, like working in an ER facility, there's probably varying levels of comfort or, you know, even liking dermatology. Like I work at a dermatology clinic, so we know all of my technicians and all the doctors working there really love it and are passionate about it. But I'm, I'm going to guess that's really difficult in an ER situation because a lot of ER doctors do not like dermatology. And so if they come in on a day to recheck that someone's in that doesn't really enjoy working with skin, that could be difficult. Um, very difficult. There is some, you know, just dislike, which is, is totally understandable. There's cases and diseases that I'm not super comfortable treating either. Mm-hmm. The nice thing is, you know, we all work very, very well together. We all enjoy each other and we're all available for each other. So we do have a board of dermatologists that is out of the facility who's wonderful. Uh, we can talk to, and then I'm available and there's several others that like derm. And so certainly on my day off, if there's a derm case, I'll get a text or phone call and I'm more than willing to jump in. Um, we have designed templates for the workup. We've designed templates for owners to go home with that discuss a lot of the things that need to be covered that somebody who doesn't do skin may not think about, but at least it's being gone over with, you know, in dermatology is, you know, like any other science and is evolving science, what we know about atopy and allergic itch and atopic dermatitis um, is vastly different than what we knew five years ago. And medication requirements and recommendations have changed and new drugs have come out. And, you know, it's not in an ER veterinarian's wheelhouse to understand, you know, to have a monoclonal antibody for allergic uh, itch. So um, just trying to keep everything up to speed. And then when you have to determine, unfortunately, on a triage situation, you know, a polytrauma takes precedence and having that up-to-date medication and treatment is going to take precedence over, you know, a hot spot, unfortunately. Yeah. So there is a limited amount of uh, brain, not brain capacity, but time uh, for training. So you're exactly right. Sometimes you may get somebody who's not all that comfortable with the derm case, uh, yeah. but we certainly do work really, really hard uh, to help each other out. Yeah, that's, that's great. And I kind of want to shift a little bit now as your experience as a general practitioner, because I know that you had a lot of experience there as well, and you always really like dermatology. So having, being someone who kind of understands now 
the world we live in and how busy it is. And you can see that through the ER point of view, what advice would you have for general practitioners where the pet's flaring, but they can't get them in right away and say, it's like their existing client. Um, you know, a lot of people, often want to reach for something like an antihistamine because it's something they can dose over the phone. It's over the counter. Um, if we kind of shift into the fact that the world is crazy right now, and it's really difficult for all of us to see cases, you know, let's kind of start out with a client calling in that we have seen before, and then they don't really want to come in because for various reasons, they just don't want to come to the clinic. And then let's kind of also cover the client that wants to come in, but we just have no spots available for them. Uh, absolutely. Um, I look at uh, allergic itch as any other disease process. So whether this is an osteoarthritis patient, a heart patient, a kidney disease patient, if that patient was to call and the animal is in a crisis, whether it's a true crisis uh, of the animal or if it's something that the owner is uh, concerned about, how would I treat those cases? What can I do over the phone knowing I have a valid client-patient relationship? So I always want to take away pain and I want to make the animal as comfortable as possible. So if I flip that to allergic itch, so what can I do to take away the itch? We know that allergic itch, atopic dermatitis is not histamine driven. So antihistamines are, in my opinion, of no use. There may be a placebo effect, but I don't think that's something that should be recommended. So topicals, you know, bathing, especially with a medicated shampoo, even just rinsing the animal off. I believe you can't overbathe allergic skin. And if you're using an appropriate product, then you can certainly uh, get a bath or if it's a large dog, at least the undercarriage and the feet uh, taken care of. Um, I always verify, are you giving your antiparasite prevention appropriately? Um, because if they miss a dose or so, you know, certainly a flea allergy flare is something that's very easily treated. Um, I go over uh, diets. Uh, some of these dogs are maybe not truly food allergic, but there's some food intolerances. And, you know, where they had a barbecue on Saturday and there's, there's something that's caused this to flare up or somebody visiting. Um, if I have an animal that is on Cytopoint or Apoquil as their maintenance, then we discuss you know, is there some wiggle room? Has it been longer than 30 days? Can they quickly pop in and get a cytopoint injection? Uh, are they on Apoquel? And do we need to maybe increase that dose for a couple of days? Or maybe they just simply need a refill of that medication. Um, so I'm trying to, I look at, I try to want to treat pain. So in this case, I want to treat itch. And so what can I do to quickly uh, alleviate that itch and make them more comfortable until I can get them in? I, um, I think all of that's really great. And I just want to emphasize the easy wins. Like that is so yes. important. History is so important. And it's so it's forgotten that we can really train our technicians or our CSRs. Like mine are very, very good at be if someone calls in and they're kind of itchy, you know, are you giving your flea control? When's the last time you gave it? If it's one that has to be given with food, are you giving it with food? Like these are easy wins that we can cover over the phone. And so I love that you brought that up because I think it's often forgotten. They're itchy. Yeah, I want a quick fix, but it's like, just take a couple of minutes to have your technicians really know questions to ask. Some people think I don't have to stay on Apoquil all the time. You know, they'll just stop it because they ran out and they didn't realize they were supposed to refill it. So I just want to emphasize those points because it's really, really important in a world where it's hard for us to get them in that we do find those easy fixes. So I love that you brought that up. 
Absolutely. And, and, you know, bathing and mousses and sprays, all of that goes a great distance. Um, even in some instances, I've had them pick up a, you know, a topical uh, hydrocortisone cream. You know, if we can get that on an area that's erythematous and itchy and painful, sometimes we can get the things calmed down, uh, you know, fairly quickly uh, and make them more comfortable. And sometimes owners just need something to do. There's some degree of interaction with a pet that has not necessarily a placebo effect, but does make them feel significantly better. And, and I'm, I'm all for any of those type of, like you said, the easy wins. Um, for the clients that want to come in and there's simply no spot, I completely agree with you. Um, if your uh, CSRs and if your technicians and your assistants are trained in this disease, just like they would be for a diabetic cat that's not doing well or an osteoarthritis, you know, that animal can come in, they can get the TPR uh, and get kind of a history of what's going on, get you the cytologies and your skin scrape or whatever germ database you need. We can take care of that itch, whether we're using Apoquil or Cytopoint, and then call them back later in the day with what our diagnostic findings are. And do we need to add in an antibiotic? Do we need to add in an azole? You know, what exactly do we need to do? But we can get them in quickly um, and triage them just like we would in the ER in general practice and, and get them some relief that same day or within the next day. And then do you guys do any, if you have owners um, that can't get in or they don't feel comfortable coming in, do you do any telemedicine? I know you've mentioned, you mentioned that sometimes you, you guys will do drop-off appointments. How do you manage, like, how do you manage that? So we do have telemedicine set up uh, at the facility, but the specialists tend to utilize that on ER, we don't. Um, when I was in general practice, especially if the animals, you know, Idaho is a big vacation spot. So sometimes they're at their cabin and they're two and a half hours away from any type of veterinary help. So I'm certainly comfortable with an, you know, having a valid, valid uh, client patient relationship discussing things either over the phone or now everybody has phone cameras. So I get a lot of pictures. I get a lot of videos. I get FaceTime. And again, my clients are trained in this disease process. So they understand what's going on and they know when to call. And so I think being, having them trained, having my staff trained and clients being proactive, absolutely. I think telemedicine is a perfect place for dermatology. Yeah, it, it, it's one of those things I think is a shift for a lot of us. And in the majority of the cases I do still are not telemedicine, but it's it still can be a really nice tool in some cases because, you know, yes, we're not going to send home a bunch of antibiotics if I can't do cytology. You just have to, you have to identify those limitations to owners. Like, well, I can't do a cytology of the skin. This is what it looks like. But maybe we can do a lot of really great topical therapy, like you mentioned. Like, could we send home a shampoo or a spray or a mousse or whatever we need to do so that we're being really thoughtful of what we're prescribing, but we're still able to help? Um, we're very lucky in dermatology because it's all visual. So we can have clients like take pictures, send them to us. And to be honest, if I do a telemedicine appointment and I really do think that the patient needs to come in, I will tell the owner that, and we'll kind of set that expectation. And pretty much every time that I see a telemedicine appointment and I tell the owner, they really need to come in, you know, either for a cytology appointment with the technicians that they can show me, or let's just get you set up where we can find time in the schedule because I'm seeing them face to face, because they're having the interaction, they're pretty much always willing to do it because then they really understand, okay, she really tried to do this through telemedicine. 
but she's that concerned that she's still recommending I come in. So I think there is a way you can use it as a tool. It doesn't have to be the end all be all, but I think it can be a tool just to show your clients that, you know, you are trying, can I manage some of it that way? Potentially, do I have cases that I can't manage that way? Absolutely. But because I tried, then the owners are a little bit more willing to come in and and actually have a full exam. Um, And you've mentioned a lot of really great things about the DERM database. It is something that, uh, you know, I feel that sometimes practitioners see if they get a negative result, they feel bad. Like, oh, I shouldn't have run that test or I shouldn't have charged the client for that. If we go back to the age-old tell of scrape pluck smear, it's still really good if you get a negative result. Like if you scrape for Demodex and you don't find it, that's wonderful. But we want to rule it out. We don't want to miss something like Demodex. Um, we want to still good charge for the client to know we're not dealing with that because you're absolutely right. Bad pododermatitis cases, we do see demodicosis often overlooked. We don't want to miss something zoonotic like dermatophyte, you know, by not running a DTM because we're not quite sure if it is or isn't going to be. Getting a negative cytology, you don't find infection, but you find a lot of inflammation. That can still be a really great tool for us because maybe now I know I should biopsy that case because it's something like pemphigus or I'm not sure what it is. So I love that you mentioned the derm database and just going back to some of those things, those basic things, because those tools are super important when we're working them up. Even if some of those results come back as negative, that is still really good information for us to have. Um, So you've talked a little bit about this, but I just want to get your expertise because I am not an ER vet. (laughs) So this is something I won't have much to really talk about. Um, But you kind of talked about some of the types of derm cases that you're seeing in the ER. Um, And you mentioned hotspots. I'd like to talk a little bit maybe about otitis because I, from my conversation with ER vets, that's a lot of also what they're seeing come in or a lot of the otitis cases, especially the ones that are having a hard time getting into their primary vet or don't have a primary vet, like you mentioned. Um, so can you just walk me through a little bit of managing maybe the frustration of a client if it's, they are having to wait that long to get in. I know you have previously mentioned you guys have not been in the ER clinic that's diverted cases, but I know some clinics have had to. So if we say have a case that comes in with a really bad otitis, how are you kind of walking through that process? So the really bad otitis cases, most of them are chronic. Uh, most of them have a longstanding history um, of multiple ear infections. So the owners kind of understand what they are very, very frustrated in is that nobody has told them that this is a component of an allergic skin disease. And so that's the first conversation I have with them just to tell them, look, this is a chronic disease. I'm going to make them feel better, but you're looking at kind of long-term management. Um, the wait time is going to be excessive, but we are going to take away the pain. I use a lot of methadone uh, for ear infections because they, you know, they don't salivate, they don't get excessively sleepy. It makes them feel significantly more comfortable. Um, And then I get my cytology. If all I do is be able to get my physical exam and then I'll grab my left and right ears, I'll do a couple sites on the skin. And then sometimes I just put the slides away and the technician lets the owners know, hey, we've treated the pain. We've got our diagnostic samples. Unfortunately, our trauma caseload is at this level right now. And we're going to see Sparky when we can, but we are going to treat. Um, And then it it just depends on what I find on cytology, uh, how I'm going to treat and how I'm going to direct my treatments. Uh, And again, I'm basing it off on what the history is and I'm basing it up on what I find on cytology. 
Um, we don't have the luxury of doing a lot of topical therapies with our technicians. And frankly, in many of the cases, the ear canals are so stenotic and so painful that trying to clean the ear, and sometimes I can't even get an exam. And I'll tell the owners the ears are so stenotic and there's so much exudate that I can get a cytology, but there may be a foreign body in there. But at this point, I need to treat what I can see immediately. So I don't do a lot of ear cleaning in the ER simply because of time uh, and staff requirement. And I tend to try to use ear medications that I can get in easily um, some degree of repository treatment so that the owners don't have to do anything at home. And then I'm always making sure that I'm treating the underlying pain as well. So infection, whether it be bacterial plus or minus malesthesia or opposite, I should say malesthesia plus or minus bacterial, I'm treating the inflammation of the ear canal and then treating the pain in the patient. Um, those are kind of my gold standards for treatment. And then beginning to discuss um, whether this is, is there a, you know, a food intolerance component? Is this an allergic component? What the next steps are going to be? And then working very diligently on getting these cases in to see somebody for a follow-up, especially if I can't see down in that air canal. Yeah. And I, I think what you mentioned earlier is so key with us being all busy is that you can have handouts, you can have templates, you can have things that you can send home with owners, knowing that you probably don't have time to go into a huge allergy workup like I would with an owner because we've set aside that time. We're not seeing ER cases. So I think there's a way you can do it and be time efficient and not make it so stressful if you have these, these um, you know, templates and all these handouts done ahead of time. Now, I have heard various things about this through other ER veterinarians they've talked to. So I'd love to get your opinion on it just as an ER veterinarian who really does enjoy skin disease. Do you think that in the ER clinic, there's a place for utilizing Apoquil, Cytopoint, and if you do use those in the clinic, how do you use them? Because I've heard various things from other ER veterinarians. Uh, absolutely. Uh, I use Apoquil and Cytopoint uh, in the ER. Uh, many of the cases that come in have concurrent, you know, disease states, diabetes mellitus, um, Cushing's disease, osteoarthritis. Uh, the owner has no idea what other medication the spouse is administering. It's a square brown pill for pain, I think. Um, and we see a lot of uh, doggy aspirin that's available, unfortunately, over the counter here at many of our health foods and, and not health foods, excuse me, many of our pharmacies and um, uh, pet supply houses. So in, the, in addition, I have limited medical records. I, I really, especially if it's on a Saturday and a Sunday, we cannot contact the primary veterinarian to find out what's going on. So I can treat, treat the itch very, very quickly without Apoquil or with Apoquil, excuse me, and, and not have the potential side effects of steroids. Now, obviously there are cases where steroids are indicated, severe otitis externa. I'm gonna grab a steroid for that if possible. Um, I also have cases where owners can't medicate their animal. So I will use Cytopoint to capture that itch very, very quickly. Um, so I think both of those drugs to me, the ER setting is perfect because I don't have to worry about them interacting with other medications that I may or may not know about, or more importantly, disease states that I may or may not know about. Uh, so I think, and I've always embraced both of these meds in the ER setting. I think something important to kind of point out, especially about the use of Apoquil is when we do see things like hot spots, pyotraumatic dermatitis, 
Remember, in addition to controlling allergic itch, Apical also reduces inflammation due to allergic dermatitis. Uh, Apical has anti-inflammatory effects. So we think of interleukin-31, and that is extremely important, but Apical also does affect other interleukins, um, interleukin-2, 4, 6, 13. So it really can also be anti-inflammatory and can be really helpful for quick itch relief, but also some inflammatory relief when we're utilizing them. Say if you do get that hot spot and you use Apoquil and antibiotics to treat the infections, because obviously we do need to make sure we're treating the infections as well, using Apoquil to help things like allergic dermatitis, just to provide that itch relief without the side effects, like you mentioned. And we know that it has a really um, quick onset. So it's something that we can see some onset within four hours. So to be able to provide that relief while we're treating infection, depending on the case, I think it's a great tool that we can utilize. And like you mentioned, you are seeing a lot of cases that have comorbidities and steroids obviously are going to have some issues if we try to give it to a pet with diabetes or hypergenic cortisism. So just knowing that there's the options out there um, that can provide that quick relief, some quick anti-inflammatory properties is helpful. And the nice thing about something like Apical is you can start it. And if they can get follow up with their primary veterinarian, you know, we can get them to a point where they can go see them if it's possible by sending enough home to keep them comfortable, but working up that primary cause, just like you mentioned through things like handouts and templates. Um, so you kind of mentioned this uh, a little bit, but I am <coughs> such a huge advocate of communication. As a dermatologist, I deal with chronic diseases. Um, I am always having to talk to my owners about the long-term implications of making sure we figure out the underlying cause. And, but again, I'm a dermatologist. I can kind of set si- uh, more time aside for that. So I just want to kind of emphasize the communication a little bit, even though you've already brought it up. How do you handle communication with the owner, knowing that the follow-up with the GP at this point is much, much more difficult um, for that workup? So you mentioned this a little bit that you always say, hey, there's an underlying cause, but can you dive a little deeper and kind of tell me what that really looks like? Uh, absolutely. We, I have written templates for essentially, we have them for all the disease processes. So if we have... Um, you know, otitis, externa handout, we have an oral hematoma handout, we have a, you know, pyotraumatic hotspot, we have them all. And so it will discuss, um, and it's, it's a plug and play, the animal's name is already implemented, their weight, Obviously, everything else, and then all of their prescribed medications, one tenth of what we tell them, plus well. they're coming into an ER, they're seeing all of the trauma cases, the weight load, the wait time is really, really long. And they're usually sent home with multiple medications. So there's a lot for them to take in verbally. So we have very, very specific handouts and every handout uh, after we've discussed uh, what the patient was seen for, diagnosis that perform, medications that are going to be sent home, there is a discussion of atopic dermatitis, uh, allergic itch, uh, and also a discussion on food intolerances. So they get that information of the uh, CSR who discharges the animal briefly goes over that. They're given a hard copy of that uh, and or it's emailed to them as well. And that discharge instruction is also sent in the body of the letter to the primary veterinarian. So that is available for them to take home and understand and read at their leisure. And then if they need another copy, it's a quick click that we will email it to them. So I think it's very important to have the same message repeated, uh, you know, 
my first discussion with them is very, very brief. It's discussed again briefly with a CSR at discharge, but they're actually given something physical, whether it's a paper that they take in their hand or it's emailed to them that discusses, again, what the process is and what the important points are. Um, and it's easy to do. Uh, all of the management software have, some of them have their own templates that you can modify, but it's very, very easy to write. And, um, you know, I don't, none of my information is proprietary. I'm willing to share what I have with anybody just so we have that consistent message. Oh, you're, you're so sweet. Careful what you wish for. Everyone might be <laughs> trying to email you. Um, yeah, I think that's really wonderful. Um, and even just saying little things like some people do get overwhelmed by handouts. They throw them away, just saying little things verbally, if you can't jump into a whole allergy spiel. So, uh, you know, there is a reason an ear infection is present. Like this is a secondary problem. There's a reason it's pre present, some form of allergy or an endocrinopathy. Um, I believe your pet has an underlying allergy that is causing this to be itchy. This is a long-term thing that's going to have to be working up. Just plant the seed. So, you know, we're going to address the infection now. We're going to treat the itch, but just so you know, there is a bigger picture here. There's something that's happening, um, you know, in the grand scheme of things is going to come back. If we don't get that identified and worked up. And even just those little things for clients who might be overwhelmed by, you know, all the handouts and all the information that's getting thrown at them. If they can just leave that appointment knowing maybe they don't understand the ins and outs of a allergic workup, but they know something's causing it so that they're just not upset when three months later, the ear infections back and they didn't feel like it got treated appropriately when in essence, it was just because the underlying problem hasn't been worked up. So having those handouts is great. Planting the seed verbally, just little things can be great as well. Just getting that message across the owner that there is something going on here so that they're not really surprised when things potentially flare or come back in the future. Um, and with that, Dr. Dalton, I have really loved our conversation. Um, I have so much respect for ER um, veterinarians. That is a lot of busy work and you guys get a lot of different things thrown at you. I actually think it's much, much easier to be in a focused specialty like me, where I can just be really good at one thing to have to balance everything you do is a lot. And I know that you guys have had really heavy caseloads and there's just been a lot going on with the world. So I really not only appreciate what you do, but I just really appreciate you taking the time in your busy schedule to be on the podcast and just have this chat with me. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, I always talk to, you know, ER veterinarians who shy away from skin that again, these animals are miserable and they hurt and they deserve just as much time and attention as that hit by car that came in. We just might have to do it in a different way. Uh, but we really need to treat them because they are truly miserable and their owners are upset and we can make a huge difference very, very quickly. I think that's the thing. Now we have the tools to make these animals better rapidly. Yeah, absolutely. And you went over all of them so well. And so hopefully we can have some GPs and ER veterinarians who take a ton away from our conversation today. Um, thank you so much for being here and just keep treating those skin cases, all the ones that can't get into my door right now, but hopefully we'll see things calm down sometime in the future. Thank you. Thank you. It was a lot of fun. I appreciate the offer. 
Well, I have to say thank you to Dr. Dalton. That was a really wonderful conversation, just all about how we can make a difference for these itchy pets. Yes, we're all busy in the clinic, but there are things that we can do. If you have had an allergic pet at home, you know how frustrating and helpless you can feel when they're flaring, when they're starting to get infections. So we want to use the tools, the resources that we can to help these pets. And we have so many things that we can do to make a big difference in the quality of life they have as an allergic pet and to really help our clients out. This podcast was sponsored by Zoetis, the makers of treatments including Apoquil, Oclocitinib tablet, and Cytopoint. Zoetis is dedicated to changing the way we approach canine paritis to protect the bonds between the pet, the owner, and the veterinary team. Visit scienceofstrongerbonds.com for more information. Some important safety information regarding Apoquil. Do not use Apoquil in dogs less than 12 months of age or those with serious infections. Apoquil may increase the chances of developing serious infections and may cause existing parasitic skin infestations or pre-existing cancers to get worse. Consider the risk and benefit of treatment in dogs with a history of recurrence of these conditions. New neoplastic conditions, benign and malignant, were observed in clinical studies in post-approval. Apical has not been tested in dogs receiving some medications, including some commonly used to treat skin and conditions such as corticosteroids and cyclosporin. Do not use in breeding pregnant or lactating dogs. Most common side effects are vomiting and diarrhea. Apical has been used safely with many common medications, including parasiticides, antibiotics, and vaccines. For more information, please see the full prescribing information at apical.com. Indications for the use of Apoquil would be control of paritis associated with allergic dermatitis and control of atopic dermatitis in dogs at least 12 months of age. Cytopoint has been shown to be effective for the treatment of dogs against allergic dermatitis and atopic dermatitis.